The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. After the headlines today, you will hear my interview with the renowned documentarian and Oscar-nominated filmmaker Evgeny Afinievsky, who is the man behind the new documentary feature film Francesco, which is about the Pope. Here are some uh, news items. The FBI and local authorities are continuing to search for a motive after a gunman killed eight people and injured several at a FedEx warehouse in Indianapolis in the latest of string of mass shootings to rock the U.S. Authorities identified the gunman as 19-year-old Brandon Scott Hole of Indiana. Four of them were members of the Indianapolis's Sikh community, another blow to the Asian American community, a month after six people of Asian descent were killed in a mass shooting in the Atlanta area and amid ongoing attacks against Asian Americans throughout the coronavirus pandemic. More than 3 million people have died from COVID-19 since the first cases surfaced more than 14 months ago and upended life for people across the globe. Global deaths reached that toll on Saturday, according to a New York Times database, as the number of confirmed coronavirus cases surged past 140 million. The United States, Brazil, and Mexico lead the world in COVID-19 deaths. As COVID-19 vaccines are underway to all Californians 16 and older in the state, the third variant from Brazil has been identified in Yolo County. In February, Yolo County identified B117 variant from the UK, On April 6th, the first case of variant B1351 from South Africa was confirmed. Experts also warn that more mutations are likely to happen as traveling ramps up and ask that people keep getting tested, continue wearing masks, and practice social distancing. Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill Friday requiring hotel, event center, airport hospitality, and janitorial employers to first rehire workers laid off during the pandemic when jobs become available, a move that comes after the governor vetoed a more expansive labor-backed bill last year. Authorities have charged a Florida nurse with threatening to kill Vice President Kamala Harris, according to a federal complaint. The Florida Office of Inspector General notified the Secret Service on March 3rd that Nivian Petit Phelps, 39, had reportedly made threats to Harris's life while speaking to her incarcerated husband via JPay, an app that provides communications tools to prisoners. She stated that someone had paid her $53,000 to do the job. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. For today's Let's Get Blunt, I want to discuss the attempt to recall Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom. But unlike most issues that I discuss on this uh, Let's Get Blunt segment, when I am pretty confident uh, and firm on my stance on the issue, 
when it comes to this one, I'm not really sure what I think yet, at least not completely. I think the jury is still out because in some ways I think uh, Governor Newsom has done a, a really good job, uh, especially considering the circumstances. And then I also am blunt enough to tell you and some of the things that I think could have been done much better. Uh, now let's bear in mind that California is the world's fifth largest economy. So, and there are 40 million plus people living in California. So it's larger than many, many, many nations around the world. So it's not an easy job um, to be the governor of California. Now, let's first address um, some of the reasons, some of the big reasons why people want him recalled. Um, now, just to start, um, let me tell you that 2.1 million signatures um, have, um, have been gathered, uh, surpassing the 1.5 million needed uh, to put this recall on the ballot. And according to um, statistics, a third of this 2.1 million, uh, a third of them are either registered Democrats or people who don't uh, identify with a political party. So just something to think about uh, as you are processing this. Now, one of the big things that came up in the last year since the onset of the pandemic is when uh, Governor Newsom went to this party at this Michelin three restaurant, French Laundry in, in the Bay Area uh, with some friends and lobbyists, and uh, they weren't wearing masks, and they were indoors. First, they, um, the response was that, oh, no, this was a party that was outdoors, but then photos showed up that showed it was indoors, and uh, the governor himself was not wearing a mask. And, of course, he's taken ownership. He's completely apologized for it and all of that. So that was a big thing. The second thing, which I think is a lot more important, is how dysfunctional EDD, the Employment Development Department, not only was last year, but still is. In over a year, that agency has not been able to fix itself, you know, even after the head of the agency stepping down. So it's still a very dysfunctional organization where people are still not getting paid what they're owed and claims are um, not processed. I think over a million claims are not processed as of right now. And of course, right now, the, the other most current issue that people have with Governor Newsom is the uh, distribution of vaccines and, and some of the inconsistencies that have happened. Now, anyone who runs a big organization or, you know, I'm just saying as an example, an organization, they know that you have to sort of um, live by its terms and change and mold as things come. And Governor Newsom has tried to do that. But, uh, you know, those that sort of don't benefit from the change of policy then complain and that becomes an issue. So I don't know how much of that is really valid because you cannot make everyone happy all of the time. So uh, Governor Newsom and no one can make everyone happy, every person, every citizen, every agency, every organization, every lobbying group and association and labor, um, uh, you know, labor union, et cetera. So 
there. So first I talked about some of the bigger issues about that. Oh, and of course there's one more thing, which is the, the shutdown. Uh, a lot of businesses, um, especially mid-sized and small businesses, feel that Governor Newsom was a little too strict on shutting down businesses, not allowing them to reopen sooner, and that affected them. Of course, there were a lot of casualties, which is very unfortunate. But my thinking is, what would have happened if he had been a little more cavalier and more people had died? Then he would have been held responsible for those deaths and the catastrophe that that would have been. So he had a choice to make, and that was to really keep it safe and keep it strict which of course upset a lot of business owners, or to be like some of the states in the South that were very loosey-goosey and they ended up paying for it. So those are the main issues that uh, people hold against him and want him recalled. Now, whenever the, this whole subject of recall comes up, I think about when uh, Governor Gray Davis was recalled in 2003. He was a Democratic governor of California, uh, he was a very, he um, was loved, uh, and they, uh, you know, there was this um, this fake electricity, well, it wasn't a fake electricity issue. What it was was they, they withheld uh, power from California, and later it came out in, t in uh, taped telephone conversations that that was a, a, a deliberate thing that they did to weaken him and to damage his credibility, uh, which ended up in his uh, recall. And of course, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger became uh, our governor. And people talked about how Gray Davis was, was a good potential candidate for presidency, and they sort of, Republicans wanted him out of the way and not let him go any further. And I wonder if uh, that's something that's uh, playing here, too, with uh, Gavin Newsom. But there are so many other things to consider, too. One of the, one of the things that people complain about is that, you know, 80% of kids are not back in full in-person schools. But what would happen if Governor Newsom allowed that to happen and the new mutations caused a lot of these kids to become sick and God forbid die, what would be the consequences um, and how much will we hold him accountable for that? So it's good to look at both sides. Um, a lot of the decisions is made for schools or regarding schools have come from uh, the California Teachers Association. So, you know, we expect them to go to experts for this and he has. We have to keep that in mind. And also remember that Governor Newsom, since 2019, uh, when he took to office, he's been, uh, he's been a target of six recall attempts. Of course, none of them have made it to the ballot. This is the first one. But So it's nothing new, being um, or people trying to recall him, or other governors and other public officials. It's... It, it's done all the time. So it just brings me back to the fact that I think the jury is still out for me, and I do acknowledge and I understand uh, some of his shortcomings, uh, especially with the dysfunction of EDD. I think for me, that's the most important thing. 
that he wasn't able to uh, really address that, and it's still uh, happening. Uh, but now, if I were to, if I had to vote today to either keep him or vote for another governor, uh, I would keep Governor Newsom. I think, I think he's been, uh, he's done a lot good for California than not. Uh, he's not perfect. He's never claimed to be. He's taken ownership of his mistakes. But we just have to wait and see. Um, so that's it. There you have it. There is my Let's Get Blunt. Let's Get Blunt. The Blunt Post with Vic. Award-winning filmmaker Evgeny Afinievsky built his career on demonstrating a commitment to documenting important stories of change and social justice. His film, Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom, was an official selection of the Venice and Telluride International Film Festivals. It was nominated for an Oscar and an Emmy, and won the People's Choice Award for the Best Documentary from the Toronto International Film Festival. Afinievsky's documentary, Cries from Syria, which came out in 2017, was about the brutal five-year civil war in Syria and was nominated for four Emmy Awards, earned a nomination for Best Documentary from the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, and Afinievsky won International Documentary Association's Courage Under Fire Award and a Humanities Prize and Cinema for Peace Award as Most Valuable Documentary of the Year. His latest feature film, Francesco is about the Pope and was just released worldwide and has already created a lot of buzz. The film addresses various issues facing the world today and answers many questions about the Pope. This is a man who's opened his heart to the hearts of all of humanity. This is a man who cries with humanity, who laughs with humanity, who suffers with humanity. This is Pope Francis. La humanidad vive una crisis. I'm convinced that we can make a difference. I'm sure. Pedimos perdón por los abusos sexuales por parte de miembros cualificados de la Iglesia. We sat across from each other and he said, Juan Carlos, the first thing I want to tell you is that I apologize for the pain that the church has caused you. I never thought I'd see that day. Ser la voz, pero no de una manera programática. Me sale solo. Y también por mi sangre migrante. I was in the cells of the detention facility with children all around me. The border patrol that were watching us said, thank you, sister, for helping us see that they're human beings. To be a symbol of, of a presence of caring for humanity, to defend life, how our world can make a difference. Yo quiero agradecer en su persona a todas las religiosas de los Estados Unidos. 
la felicito. I think God made him experience what people experience. Good morning, Evgeny. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. How are you? I am good. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure, and uh, I'm so excited. Congrats on your film, Francesco. Thank you. I know that you've been, it's been a passion project. You've been working on it for several years now, so it's uh, finally here for U.S. audiences. It's actually available on a world scale already. Because since Sunday, it is running on Discovery Plus in many other countries, not only in the United States. So the audience across the globe can witness this amazing man and basically witnessing so much human gestures he's doing for us, for human beings. Absolutely. The, let me ask you this. Now that it's done and, you know, as I've sort of, you know, just for disclosure, you and I are friends, so I've known you. I've been working on this for years, going back and forth to Europe uh, many, many times. How does it feel for this sort of giving birth to your, this, this child, this artwork of yours? You know what? It's, it's amazing that I can finally share it with the audiences. It's a project of my passion that I... I dedicated three last years. It's over three years, actually. And uh, I think it is amazing feeling that I can share it with the audiences, that the gestures that Francis is doing for this world can be shared with the audience, that audience can be inspired by these gestures to do good, specifically in these days of pandemic. But I think for me as the filmmaker, as somebody who created this call for action, it's still a lot of work to continue because the idea of this movie is to open wide open wide uh, kind of eyes for the people across the globe because since pandemic started we've been put it into our apartments we've been kind of put it into our caves and we were locked with our tv screens for entertainment but we forgot about what's happening beyond our countries. We kind of were paying attention to what's happening in our city, in our street, in our country. But we kind of forgot that there is a big world. And we also forgot about the disasters, except pandemic, that were surrounding us. And these disasters been created by us, by humankind. And we're talking about climate change to refugee and migration crisis. We're talking about war conflicts to genocides and holocausts. We are talking about all the abuse, sexual abuse and abuse of power. It's all us, human beings, who create it. And, and you, I think, yeah. Yeah, and you, you know, address all of those in, in the film. And I should say the Pope also addresses all of those topics in the film. In fact, I was, uh, I, I guess surprise is not the right word, but maybe delighted to see that climate crisis and climate change and the catastrophe of it was the first thing that you tackle in the film. But I think climate change is the very pressing and hard subject for us in today's world. Because if people don't understand when we're talking about pro-life issue, our life depends on the climate change. The more pollution we have, 
the more cancer and asthma we will have and the more short life we will have to ourselves and to the future generation. So people don't understand it that we created the genocide to the climate change. We created this genocide to the Mother Earth, to the planet. And at the end of the day, if you will not stop right now and rethink our actions and really not reverse the process of destroying our planet, we will not have this home where to live and we will disappear as a humankind. Because like I just mentioned, from scientific point, meaning pro-life, it's to care about every life. And if we destroying the life around us, we same time destroying our own life. Absolutely. It's affecting our own health, shortening our own lives. And we have also affecting the future generation that born with so many defects. So again, that's the starting point for everything. And then many other conflicts, many other issues that are created by humankind. Absolutely. Well said. For those of you just joining us, uh, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Victor Rami, and I'm speaking with filmmaker, director Evgeny Afyanevsky, whose film, uh, Francesco, just premiered worldwide about the Pope. Uh, so, Evgeny, I want to ask you about the process because it, it, it always intrigues me. Uh, what was the process of making this film, like getting in touch with the Vatican and, and telling them who you are and what you're trying to do and all of that? How does that go? You're familiar with my previous movies. Of and course. you know, these movies are effectively changed history. Like if you're talking about Winter on Fire, my Oscar-nominated movie, which inspired people in Venezuela, in Nicaragua, in Chile, in Hong Kong in 2019 to stand mm-hmm. against dictatorships, against oppression. Cries from Syria, which made people to open hearts and minds and understand what exactly happening in Syria, which atrocities. And for me, Syria was a journey into the darker side of humanity that I wanted to share with the entire world and explain why we are facing this crisis, refugee crisis. So I think Vatican was aware of all these movies, not just aware of the movies, but also the impact they brought, the impact that I created by bringing spotlight on these things. And I think when I came to Vatican for the first time, they knowing me as the filmmaker, as an artist, they agreed to open for me ability to start the project mm-hmm. on my own, independent, because I was uh, creating all my projects from Winter on Fire to Christ to this one, starting completely independently, with self-financing and nothing related to the studios. So they authorized me to start, greenlighted this, but they never promised me a meeting with Holy Father. Never. Mm-hmm. They said, start, we will see what you're doing, and then we will reevaluate and discuss. And that's how it started. And then as any journalist, any filmmaker, I started to do my own steps to build this relationship, to build this relationship step by step and to establish the contact with my main character. And it took some time and it took some really difficult moments to get to him. But it's happened, and I built this relationship. I built this fascinating relationship with Pope Francis, which I cherish. And that's allowed me to sit with him multiple times, to sit with him many times, and in the same time to capture essence of his character. Wow. that's That just sounds so... <laughs> 
just so amazing that you got to interview him. That's a lot of trust that you built with your credibility and your work. So uh, kudos on that. I want to sort of switch gears a little bit and just to tell you. So honestly, when I was watching the film, um, for those that don't know, uh, last night uh, I virtually was invited to sort of the L.A. premiere of, of Francesco, um, a virtual premiere, and I love the film. And one of the things that happened was as I was watching it, uh, it kept, and you addressed this in the film, and you actually addressed it uh, during the panel discussion afterward, but listeners, you know, they didn't see it. So I'm going to ask you, as I was watching the film, uh, I kept thinking about the Pope's, for lack of a better term, flip-flopping on uh, acceptance of the LGBTQ community uh, through the years. Certainly this Pope has said more uh, and more positive things for and about the LGBTQ community than any other Pope uh, before him, but there have been some times when uh, we felt that we're getting inconsistent messages from the Vatican and, and the Pope most recently, he, him saying that he will not bless same-sex unions uh, because it's a sin. So um, I want you to sort of talk about that as that was discussed last night too. Uh, let me answer this question. He's a Pope and he's the human being. Now, the inconsistency comes from the institution that is over 2,000 years old. Now, Pope Francis not signed the documents that you're referring. He not signed it. He was aware that the doctrine of faith, congregational doctrine of faith, planning the response. He entrusted them to respond, but he not saw the final document, and his signature is not under this document, has been reported by media. Media wow. reported he signed a decree. I saw this decree. There is no signature of the Pope. It is signed by the Cardinal, who is the Prefect of the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith. It's also stated that he was authorized, to, this Cardinal, to basically make this uh, thing. But did he been aware of the exactly content and language? No. And I know that because I have direct communication with Holy Father, mm -hmm. but that's even not the answer. The answer is, you can see in a movie, the testament, the actions that mm -hmm. he did to protect the kids of the gay couple. That's the testament. Yeah, you no, hear I... him on a camera he, when he is explaining his position, and as we already know, that when the movie premiered in October in Rome, it was a lot of misinformation also spread by the media because not many people had the chance to see the movie and media took advantage of that. So luckily mm -hmm. right now, the entire world can see and hear exactly what Pope said. Yeah. He's not trying to change the doctrine these days. He's trying to prevent any type of discrimination of any human being. Now, do he ally, is he allied to the gay community? Yes, he is. And the biggest evidence is in the movie. Another evidence that I can tell you, Juan Carlos Cruz, whom you saw in a movie, yes. who explaining everything about himself and his sexuality, and in the same time, two days ago, breaking news. 
Juan Carlos Cruz been appointed to the Vatican Commission of Protection of Minors, and he's openly gay. Yeah. That's, and he appointed by Holy Father. Yeah. Another situation, me. I, because of the major pressure, I stated this already many times, uh, the pressure that media pushed on me, I openly said, yes, it is important subject, and it is important subject for me personally, and mm -hmm. I am openly gay, and I am openly Jew, and I still did this movie about fascinating person who calls Pope Francis. And that's another testament to his ability to protect us, gay community. So what media speculated in the last weeks was absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that media is wrong. Unfortunately, it was a speculations and uh, misrepresentation of the facts. Yeah, because well, he never signed this decree. It's a, it's, a, it's lousy journalism if someone says a decree signed and it indeed was not. Um, I was just wondering because I don't remember who was it on the panel last night that said he just read it very quickly. He was in a rush. Father and, Martin, Father Martin said it. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, it was more of an issue of that he hadn't really fully comprehended what he was reading and responding to. No, he, I, I, he never signed this. I yeah. had a conversation with Holy Father. Yeah. He never signed this. Gotcha. And he never was even aware of this because all his focus last week's was specifically the Iraq. And uh, he not was even paying attention. The recent pressure between the right wing of the church and uh, conservative side, which in my opinion, and again, I'm not a Catholic, but I'm observer from the side. And as observer from the side, I see how much discrepancy comes from the right wing of the Catholic church, who calls themselves traditionals. But in the same time, if you are traditional Catholics, why should you not obey to the Pope who is representative of Jesus Christ on earth? The main rule and tradition of the Catholic Church is obedience to the Pope. And I somehow not see this from the Catholics who are calling themselves traditional. So, yeah. wait, are we talking about uh, specifically saying one thing and doing another thing? Or we truly need to follow tradition? So I suggest that they should follow their own tradition and yeah. stay on their own world. Yeah, you know, one of the similarities I see, and, and not to compare them, is when President Obama uh, came to, you know, you know, became president in early 2009, and there were so many different things that he needed to address, one of them being a lot of discriminatory laws that have been enacted against the LGBT community. And, of course, some of us activists, we we wanted them done, you know, quickly. And he said, no, we're going to do this the right way. We're going to do it slowly. We're going to get everyone's support behind it. Uh, he didn't just go in like a cowboy and just sort of uh, give executive orders. You know, it took two years for him to get all the generals and Congress behind getting rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And the next thing, you know, he started to work on the Defense of Marriage Act. And then, of course, it was during his pres presidency that we we have marriage equality. So I, I see what you're saying, and I see the Pope's position that, you know, he's trying to work with, you know, a huge institution, as you said, that's been around for uh, over a millennia. And uh, I think, you know, if we, the film speaks for itself, and I love that moment 
the, with the Pope when he apologized to Juan Carlos and, uh, you know, and said, I'm sorry for everything that we've done. And I think it was a very genuine and uh, a real moment. But later on, you also seen Pope standing in front of millions of people in a public space mm-hmm. and declaring these things, saying, I am sorry. I am sorry on behalf of the church. I am deeply sorry for all the abuses, abuse of the power, abuses sexual, and he doing this publicly. And that's what makes him amazing human person and a fascinating leader. And as you saw, before apologized to Juan Carlos, he apologized in a public letter that he committed mistake addressing to the bishops and it was read to the media. So he is not afraid to admit mistakes and immediately fix them. And that's what true leadership should be doing. Not just blame others, not to point fingers how many people are doing these days, but to recognize wrongdoing, recognize the mistakes, Mm -hmm. learn, and then to make change, necessary change. And it relates also to us humans, because all the disasters that we see in a movie related specifically to us recognizing them and then admitting the mistake and then fixing it. Either it's climate change or all the war conflicts or other issues or even genocide. As you heard yesterday, the recognition of Armenian genocide should be done not because somebody demands this, but because we need to prevent situations from repeating itself. And until we're not recognizing our mistakes of the past, we can't prevent the mistakes of today's world. Absolutely. And in today's world, genocides and uh, all the horrific situations are still continue ongoing and just because we're not accepting mistakes of the past. Absolutely. Hold, hold that thought. Those of us just tuning in, uh, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and I am speaking with Oscar-nominated... Filmmaker, director Evgeny Avinievsky, whose film Francesco is uh, making a big, big impression on worldwide audiences. Talking to Evgeny about Francesco and related matters about the Pope. So, Evgeny, uh, you before this you brought up the Armenian genocide, and I was so pleased um, that you included the Pope's visit to Armenia and to. Which is the Armenian Genocide Memorial in Yerevan, the capital. It was really important. I remember for the 1,700 year anniversary of Christianity in Armenia, the Pope John Paul II went to Armenia, and that was a big deal. Uh, but this Pope uh, has definitely recognized the genocide over and over again. He grew up in Argentina, where there's a large. Um, Armenian community that are genocide survivors. Uh, so I really um, enjoyed that. Um, tell me uh, what led you to include that part. What led me to include that part? I will tell you. It's the first genocide of, 20, of uh, 20th century. And uh, I, it was important to include it because A, 
Pope openly, despite all the consequences, recognized this and recognized this, like I just said, not because it is just important to please somebody. It's important to recognize this in the memory of the people who is no longer with us. And it's important to recognize this in order to avoid mistakes that we as humans repeating over and over. And we just spoke that he, as the humble leader and human being, he recognizing mistakes and immediately fixing them. And that's what we, as human beings, who creating all the disasters over and over and destroying ourselves, victimizing ourselves, we need to start to recognize our mistakes in order to prevent them from Mm -hmm. happening. And exactly the same thing was said in the movie, that in order to stop all what's happening right now, we need to recognize this. We need to recognize that that was the genocide. And then we can stop, continue genocides of today's world. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, and I think this is uh, another thing that baffled me. And as I was watching the film, it was sort of in the back of my head. Now, as you know, last year, September 27th, countries of Azerbaijan and Turkey orchestrated this genocidal attack and ethnic cleansing against Armenians of Artsakh, or also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, something that for various reasons, uh, many nations and organizations and world political bodies, whether it's EU, Council of Europe, UN, etc., there was no noise, there was no inner you know, you know, intervention, if you will. Of course, President of uh, Turkey, Erdogan, is pals with Trump, and at the time, Trump administration uh, didn't do anything. They probably even greenlit the whole thing. And a lot of people look to the Pope to say something about it. And his silence, aside from just one time he said that he prays for the situation in which was very generic, he was very quiet about it. And I know that a lot of activists um, tried to get some sort of a statement, hoping that if he says something, something will change. And of course, 4,000 plus Armenians were massacred in 44 days. Um, Azerbaijan and Turkey brought in uh, Syrian, Libyan, Pakistani mercenaries and ISIS to do the killings. Why do you think... And I should include one more thing, too. We later, and this is verified, it's, uh, it's not rumor hearsay, we later found out, which was probably about a couple of months ago, that uh, President of Azerbaijan, Aliyev, had made an unscheduled visit to the Vatican last February before the attack, and that he donated over $2 million for what they called uh, restorations to the Sistine Chapel, so people started thinking, is there a connection for Pope's silence about this? So I'm wondering what you think of that. First of all, I don't remember anything about trip because it's not was in any official things. I don't remember about that at all. I don't think it was uh, official. It was a kind of a surprise trip. Yeah, but any you can't make a, again. It's maybe speculations of the media as well, because I saw how different speculative uh, messages were posted on the media. Well, no, the, the picture, they actually met. I've verified it, and they actually took a photo, too. So this isn't 
uh, media speculation. No, the, the picture, Rick, the pictures that I saw were related to a, the, his visit to Azerbaijan in the same year that he was traveling to Armenia, I think. And oh, no, no, no. I remember this that is... the pictures that I saw circulated in the media were related to really, really past. No, no, That's no. I'm not talking about I... that at all. I'm talking about president and first lady of Azerbaijan were, in, yes, were at the, the picture... Vatican were at the Vatican in February of last year. Again, the thing that, and I know Vatican really good, you can't have a meeting, and I learned Vatican really good. I can meet Pope of the protocol because I'm not political leader or not government official. Right. Since I saw how media able to state that Pope signed decree and Pope not have a clue about the document, I can easily believe that there is a speculation that not related to truth. It's possible. Again, I can't state this 100% because I can investigate this, but I do know it's 100% assurance that if the official, government official, will come to Vatican under official trip or non-official trip, it's still treated only under protocol. It can't be off protocol. And it means he had a meeting with number one, who is Pope, or he meets with number two, who is Secretary of State, Cardinal Parolin. Right. And in one occasion or another, it needs to be published. It's diplomatic. Yeah. It's kind of diplomatic thing. Like, for example, yesterday was a visit of a minister of something from Ukraine, and it is in the news, in the internal news of Vatican. Mm -hmm. You can't hide the fact that leader of one country will come. Vatican yeah. is... Very, very transparent in these days. Well, no, there was no, there was the... no reason to hide it. And and Azerbaijan's president going to the Vatican, there's no crime there. We're just saying that uh, no, the donation and saying, the silence. No, no, no. What I'm saying, if it was there, it's supposed to be an official Vatican channels. The this trip. That's number one. Number two, as the private person, he can donate the restoration of. Uh, chapel and it's not related to francis francis uh, not related to 16 chapel and restoration of the vatican things because i know how many people donating every year different types of the money grants to vatican library to let's say to i'm not trying to defend but i'm just trying still to divide media mm -hmm. vatican and pop but that you do understand that there's, you do understand that, you know, technically, of course, people can donate to this and that, you know, but uh, we also know that those loopholes, and I'm not saying this is what happened, I'm just asking for your opinion, but people do use those kinds of loopholes to say, well, I'm a private citizen, and this is done as a benevolent humanitarian thing, this and that, but I guess ultimately, you know, we can't, we can't, prove whether um, that was like a hush money or anything like that. But ultimately, I think the question becomes for the Pope to know what genocide is, and certainly knowing about the Armenian genocide, that this time around, why was there, why was he quiet about it? I will tell you something. On the 15th of February, I was with Pope Francis, this year actually. And when I was showing him a schedule of the release of the movie, and on my schedule was uh, six panels. And panel number two was about Armenia. 
an Armenian genocide. Mm -hmm. Pope was really excited and he said, it is important. It is important to bring attention. So mm -hmm. that's me and Pope Francis. And uh, I know that he cares about people. Yeah, that's why, you know, of course, I, I don't expect you to have all the answers. Uh, it's just as someone so close to him and someone that has a great view of this, I uh, was just wondering what your impression was of that. So, and I'm glad that you told me about your, your last meeting with him and what he said. There's one thing I have to mention about the film. You know, there's so much, so many different things that I liked about it. One of the things that really stood out was the music. I thought the music was just beautiful. Thank um, you. I, I, you know, I have to admit, I didn't look up the composer. <laughs> so uh, before we go, I want to hear about the music and how you chose that and, and sort of the theme of it. I will tell you a very interesting story about the music as well. In 2019, when I was in Vatican, during the sexual abuse summit, I met a guy by name Emanuel Dramsky. He's another victim of sexual abuse from Chile, who was sold as a child to German parents during the Pinochet. And this sweet kid, being another victim of sexual abuse in Germany in the school where he was uh, studying. And Emanuel is a really sweetheart. And he is literally, he opened his heart to me and he was playing violin during the event in front of the bishops and then talking about his pain and his reconciliation and what bishops need to do to fight the sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And I offered him to perform all the parts of the violin in this movie for the for the big world and bring the sounds that adam peters a very famous composer created for this movie and later in november 2019 emmanuel joined us here in the us and we recorded on his violin he was playing all the parts of uh, violin for the movie for the score wow so that's another voice of innocence and in the same time victim of sexual abuse in our movie yeah, it got to layer the film even more so. So uh, we're running out of time, Evgeny. Um, so just for people tuning in, uh, the film is now available on Discovery. and Discovery Plus. Discovery Plus and in select theaters throughout uh, the country and the world, actually. Uh, is yes. there anything else you'd like to add? Anything I missed? I think for all the questions that we were discussing and to see the real, you know what? It's not about words, it's about actions with Pope Francis. And I think for the audience to learn about him, to learn about his fascinating things, I, I suggest to everyone to go and watch it on Discovery Plus. And if people don't know how to find this, they can go to our website, which is francesco.movie or francesco.com. Oh, sorry, francesco.film or francesco.movie. And they can find everything on our film there. So it's again, francesco.film or francesco.movie, and they can find everything, where the movie plays, how they can watch it, and how they can learn about our initiatives. Watch our panels, same panel that you just watched yesterday will be available on our website next week. 
next Friday. And many other panels, right. including a panel on Armenia, will be there in a few weeks. So again, just tune to our website for all the news, all updates, all the fascinating stuff that we do in Vispo Francis, all the initiatives, human initiatives that we're doing. And in the same time, they can find out where they can watch the movie. Fantastic. It's such an important film. It's a, uh, it's a must-see for all of us. We have to watch before we can have opinions. It's very poignant. It's very intimate. Um, and it's just beautiful. Thank you, Evgeny, for being on the show. And uh, I, I'm not going to say good luck to you or break a leg because you don't need it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Vic. Thank you. That was filmmaker Evgeny Afinievsky, uh, of course, the director behind the new film about the Pope, uh, Francesco, a film that I enjoyed watching very much. It's entertaining, but it's also such a, an important film. Uh, Evgeny, thank you so much for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. The Blunt Post with Vic. I have three tweets to read to you about the Indianapolis shooting. The first one is from Bishop Talbert Swan. He wrote, The mass murdering FedEx terrorist was a 19-year-old white boy named Brandon Scott Hole. We knew he was white because the media called him a gunman and a shooter, not a murderer or a terrorist, and because of the test used to determine whether to release his picture. The second one is from uh, Carmine Sabia, and it says, the FBI knew of the FedEx shooter because a family member reported him. The FBI closed the case. How many times do we see this? The last tweet is from Marjorie Owens, who wrote, I really don't care who the shooter is. In America, they're a dime a dozen. Rest in peace to those killed while just doing their jobs. If you don't believe in stricter gun laws, F you. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at Vic Jarami. That's V I C G E R A M I. The Blunt Post with Vic.